Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 61, and it's part number two of our series for the fall uh, that we're calling Setting the Bible Free. And this episode, ah, man, this is a good one. Uh, Well, they're all good ones, but this one, I had a lot of fun uh, with this one. Uh, The title of this episode is Rabbi Nahum and the Calling on All of Us to Be a Prophet. So in this episode, I talked to Rabbi Nahum Wardlev, and he talks to us about so many things uh, revolving around his book, uh, which is called The Liberating Voice of the Hebrew Prophets, Then and Now. And uh, the link to that, by the way, is in the show notes. So you should probably hit pause, go to Amazon or wherever it is that you buy your books, and go buy this book. It is a it is a game changer. Uh, but this is a really this is a really fun episode. And uh, before we jump in, uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the conversation with him is only like 30 minutes because we we got started we got started like 30 minutes late uh, because of all these weird technology issues that were going on with Zoom. And Zoom is the program that I use uh, to talk to somebody and record the conversation over the the internet. And so it was it was kind of a, a crazy time. And I didn't want to keep uh, Rabbi Nahum too far past like the original time that we had allotted to do this. Uh, so I tried to move a little bit faster through my my questions. But man, he was like, he was freaking brilliant anyways. Like he gave us so, so many fascinating things to chew on. Uh, like really just incredible stuff. So I think you're going to find this super, super helpful. And then after the interview um, is over, uh, I recorded a, a separate, uh, I guess you would call it like an outro, like this is an intro, uh, then the outro of the episode. Uh, so I recorded a, a little uh, like 20 minute debrief at the end. And I did that like a few days after I spoke with him. Um, I spent some time just, you know, processing a few things from the book. Um, processing some things that I talked to him about and how I find all of that relating to me um, and the What If Project. And so uh, I, I talk a little bit about that. And then at the end, I also extend an invitation to you uh, to join me in a two-part online small group experience starting in October. Uh, so I'm not going to give you all the details of that now. Uh, you can hear about that at the end of the episode. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, this is this is a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to doing this uh, thing with you. So details coming in approximately, I don't know, 45 minutes, I guess, from when you're listening to this. Or I guess you can just bypass everything that's about to happen and go listen to the end. But who wants to do that and spoil all of the fun, right? So, so anyway, uh, settle in and enjoy this episode. Uh, a couple things real quick, though. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash what if project as a place where you can go to support uh, the show? Uh, there's different levels of giving on Patreon, so anywhere from three dollars a month up to thirty dollars a month. Every tier has its own reward. Uh, so head over there, check that out. We have 15 people right now who um, are patrons, and man, thank you so much uh, for believing in me, believing in this uh, show, believing in this crazy thing that we are doing. Uh, your gift. Every single month means the world to me. So thank you uh, so much. And lastly, the What If Project community is an online uh, Facebook, closed Facebook group where we have about 90 people 
who gather in there and every day somebody's sharing something else with the group. It's, it's a safe place uh, to be yourself, to ask your questions, to share resources that you found helpful in your deconstruction and reconstruction um, seasons of your life. So all the links uh, to all the different things talked about in the episode and more uh, are in the show notes. So head over there and uh, check that out. I also have a little book list too in the show notes, uh, by the way. And I'll be doing that for every episode in this series where I just share a few books that I have found helpful um, in my understanding or coming to understand uh, of the Bible. I don't know what that means, but all the books about the Bible that I have found helpful will be in the show notes over the course of the next uh, 10 weeks. So, so that said, uh, let's roll the tape. This is my conversation with the one and only Rabbi Nahum Ward Lev. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. Uh, it is awesome to have you here. Today I'm sitting down with my friend Rabbi Nahum Ward Lev, who recently released a book called The Liberating Path of the Hebrew Prophets, uh, subtitled Then and Now, which I finished about a month ago. And since it blew my mind so much, I reached out to Rabbi Nahum and invited him onto the podcast. And so here we are, Rabbi, welcome to the show. Uh, it's my honor to have you here after we navigated through our technological issues. <laughs> yeah, it's my joy to be here. Th thanks for inviting me, Dave. Oh, absolutely. So I first heard about you on Rob Bell's The Robcast a few months ago, and uh, he was talking to you about the book before it was released, I believe. And I remember thinking to myself, after the end of the conversation, I was like, I need to go find this book. And so I pre-ordered it and I devoured it. And uh, it is really good. So I was wondering, uh, what has the, the feedback been for the book so far? What are people saying? Oh, I've, I've had a, a world of really good feedback from the book that, that various parts of the book is, are, have been speaking to people. It's been very yeah. interesting to, yeah. to hear different people reflect on different parts. Like I, I recently got an email from a, a minister friend in the, in the Seattle area, and he really liked the chapter on the scribes where I talk about the, the scribes intentionally included multiple points of view. And he said that he'd often been frustrated by the contradictions in the Torah. And, uh, uh, and that chapter really helped him understand that they were there for a reason. And then mm. someone else really liked the part um, where I talked about that God learns. And someone else liked the part about creation. So it's been interesting that different people have valued different parts. Yeah, I felt like there's so much in the book. And I found myself thinking... Like this part of the book doesn't feel like it's going to hit me as much now as it might in a year down the road. And this part of the book, I really wish I would have known that like three years ago, because that would have been super helpful. And then this part, you know, there's just different parts that really spoke to me as to where I am now. So that's, that's really interesting that people are saying that. Uh, but before we get into some of the questions revolving around the book, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about yourself with our listeners who maybe aren't too familiar with you. Uh, who are you? You know, what do you do? What makes you tick? All that kind of stuff. <laughs> and a loaded question you got like you got like a minute <laughs> no, i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah exactly uh, um I, I my training is a rabbi i've been a rabbi since 1981 and uh for some years i uh, served in in congregations in 
Californian and here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm. And, uh, but for the past 20 years, I've really been focused on um, teaching and on sitting with people for spiritual direction. And so about 20 years ago, I founded what's called a Beit Midrash, which is the rabbinic term for uh, a learning community. It means house of exploration. And it's a, a certain style of, of learning that puts the text at the center Hmm. and really applies the text to what's going on in our lives today. And, and so uh, that's been really the focus of what I've done. I've led two Beit Midrash groups, and um, they're multi-faith, and about 20, 22 adults. We meet once a week for two and a half hours. That's been a core of what I've done, plus spiritual direction. And then I've done a whole bunch of, of teaching you know, at various retreat centers and seminaries around the country. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So I, I love that idea of the Bet Midrash. Do you do that online or is it all in person? All in person. All in person. If you ever yeah. do one online, I might like to jump into that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little hint for you. <laughs> yeah. But we, we got to get our Zoom working better before we, we do that. <laughs> yeah, we do. We, we, we do. We do. <laughs> so uh, after reading your, your book, and uh, I want to dive into that a little bit, um, it seems to me that there's this, maybe this mistaken idea out there in the world of, I would say, Christianity in particular, that a, a prophet is simply somebody who maybe foretells the future, or in some instances, just an angry old guy who yells a lot about random stuff that had to do with things going on way back then, but not so much today. But you point out in your book that a prophet in the biblical sense, is actually something much different. I wanted to read a quote uh, for our listeners to kind of uh, set the context a little bit. Uh, you say the prophets are those who are filled with God's love for creation and consequent passion for justice. The encounter with this love and concern brings forth from the prophet the courage to face what others might turn away from, the unsustainability of a society that oppresses the poor. And uh, you go on in the book to talk in depth about the love that God has for the world, uh, the passion he has to bring liberation to it. And then the calling that he's placed on humanity to join him in that liberation process. And so I guess with all that stuff in mind, that my, my kind of opening question for you, really twofold. Number one, can you talk to us a little bit more about what the role of the prophet is in the Bible? Um, and then number two, what exactly is this liberation journey that God is seeking? And what does it look like for you and me and everyday people to participate in that with him? <laughs> <laughs> Big questions. <laughs> one minute, right? <laughs> right, one minute. It got two minutes for this one. <laughs> okay. So the, the writing prophets in the Bible, the prophets whose name, whose books we have, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Hosea, etc., um, by and large lived from 750 to about 550 before the Common Era. Hmm. Uh, and... Most of them lived between 500 and 750 and, um, yeah, yeah, say 550. So, so there are three that lived after 550. Most of them lived to 550. And this was a time, somewhat like our own, of a accelerating gap between the rich and the poor, hmm. where the small farmer who'd been a backbone of Israelite society had generation after generation been dispossessed uh, from the land through um, harsh debtor laws and high taxation 
and had become indentured servants, uh, losing their land to um, large landowners and large uh, merchants. And so the prophets arose in the midst of this um, suffering Hmm. to speak God's concern for those on the margins, you know, that God's love for, for all in the community and that so many people had their potential thwarted was intolerable to the prophet because it was intolerable to God. And so they had the courage to say that um, these massive institutions uh, of the time, which would have been the, the, the temple and the king and the large landowners and the large merchants, uh, that, that unless they uh, corrected the great injustice in society, that they were coming down, they, they were unstable. Hmm. And they were so because they were unjust and that they were coming down. And at the same time, these prophets were able to envision an alternative future in which all could flourish. So they were both able to name the oppression and to envision an alternative way forward. Hmm. And so I chose to write the book because I feel like we are living in prophetic times. We have you know, um, a tremendous growing, accelerating gap between the, the rich and the poor, and more and more people are are um, suffering all kinds of deprivation, among many, many other problems that we have in the world and political institutions that seem unable, unwilling to really uh, tackle these problems. Hmm. And so I felt like we need to bring more of a prophetic work of really naming injustice and proclaiming it unsustainable, envisioning that it will come down and to work for and to envision work for an, al- an alternative future. That's really good. So that the, the other half of the question was about the liberation journey that, that, you know, um, as you know, in, in my chapter on creation, that I understand the Bible to be saying that all of creation is on a liberation journey. And what liberation means is, overcoming whatever constraints there are to more conscious, reciprocal, interpenetrating relationship and evolving forward into, you know, deeper mutual um, interdependent relationship, not dependent, not independent, but interdependent relationship where we're all flourish together. And that the creation stories in Genesis are really, envisioning creation as this unfolding of life forms that are ever more conscious and ever more interrelated and ever more reciprocally related. And so humans and all of creation are on this journey. I think we right now are at a particular, particularly perilous moment of this journey. And for all the reasons I said earlier, Mm. uh, but this journey is continual that, that God willing, when we, um, are able to well, find our way forward into a more flourishing future, there'll still be more relationship to develop and, and, and a deeper sense of what you know, Martin Luther King called becoming coming to the beloved community. Hmm. You know, if King were alive today, he would have included you know, the whole earth and world in his understanding of coming into the beloved community. So when you talk about prophecy, one of the things that comes to my mind now for me, and I think a lot of my listeners too, I was raised in a... Um, more Protestant evangelical um, setting. And there was the, one of the biggest things that was always talked about, like in college and even in seminary was like, you know, your spiritual gifts. And uh, one of the ones was the spiritual gift of, of prophecy. 
And every, I think every spiritual gift test that I, I took over the course of my years uh, looked at prophecy a little bit differently. But if we were to look at prophecy in the way that you just described it, which by the way, I think is, is a beautiful description. Um, would you say that, is it possible for anyone to step into the footsteps um, of the prophetic and speak um, into those oppressive things in our society? Or is, is this role of a prophet set aside for certain people who have certain passions and things like that? Yeah, I think that God is working within everybody mm. to be a part of this liberation journey. And I think that a human life is a creation and that, that, that all of us in our lives feel called upon, feel called upon in some way to flourish in life, flourish in terms of entering into ever more mutually fulfilling relationships in life and to meet whatever barriers there are to our growth and to the growth of whatever we're involved in and to meet those barriers and to envision them, to call them out and then to transcend them and to move beyond them. And so I, I think that, that we're all called to be prophets in the context of our own life. I mean, I mean, few of us are going to be a, you know, a, a Martin Luther King or a Mandela or maybe an AOC or whatever. Sure. <laughs> uh, but I think each of us in our own life are, are come up with things that that's just not right. That's just not yeah. how it should be. Something is being thwarted here. Some flourishing is not moving forward here. And, and uh, I'm really disturbed by it. And, and I, I, if I give myself some, some time and some uh, imagination, prophetic imagination we all have, I, I can envision a better way forward here. I think we all have those moments. Hmm. Yeah, I feel, like, uh, I feel like that happens a lot since I've started this podcast, is that there's just certain topics that come up. Um, and I just get very passionate about them. And I sense there's just something different there that was never there before. So as I was reading your book, um, I really started to recognize those passions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the role of chaos in the scriptures? Uh, because for me, uh, I was always taught to avoid chaos. And I think one of the, the famous lines in my, my upbringing is that, you know, God is a God of order, not of chaos. And kind of the unspoken idea behind that for me was always that if you find chaos in your life, that's because you're doing something wrong. Uh, but you bring about this, I think, this really wonderful perspective in your book. Uh, you argue that uh, chaos in the Bible often, I think you say, underlies the creative effort. And uh, just another quick quote for our listeners. You say, the Genesis story tells us that we don't need to overcome the chaos, but rather we are called to face the chaos, to see it clearly for what it is, and in relationship to that chaos, bring forth new ways of being. Uh, the prophet who both faces the present chaos and envisions a more relational, life-affirming future illustrates this activity. And I really like this because I think everybody who's listening right now is probably facing some kind of chaos um, in their life or their world, like maybe personal chaos, you know, your finances, your family, your work, or maybe chaos in the world, you know, the shootings, the, the violence, the oppression. So I was wondering if you could maybe talk to us more about uh, what it looks like to approach chaos in this way. And maybe like, what are some examples of what it looks like for an everyday person to uh, face their chaos and stepping into the footsteps of those prophets, uh, create a more life affirming future for themselves and uh, for their, for their world. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, in Genesis one, at the very beginning of the Bible, uh, it begins 
after said God created the heaven and the earth, that, that, that the earth was tohu vavohu, that, that it was unformed and void. It was chaotic. There was no order. And then it says that the spirit of God, Murachifet, hovered, Murachifet, hovered over the Pnei Tahom, mm. over the face of the deep. And that sense of face, like there's an intimate relationship. So there's out of God's intimate relationship with the chaos that first came forth the light and then the rest of the unfolding of creation, the firmament and the land, dry land and the seas and all of that, that, that God doesn't uh, overcome the chaos, doesn't rule out the chaos, doesn't fight against the chaos, but is present to the chaos to bring something life-affirming out of, out of it. Mm. And so I know, you know, in, in my own life, that both personally and communally, that sort of having the courage in myself to really look deeply into dark places, to see clearly what is this going on in those dark places, is ultimately the source of the energy to bring something life-affirming um, out of it. Mm. And, and so, you know, in, in any of the problems that we would face in our community, the resources to move forward are, are within the problem itself. And so we're not shying away from not trying to banish it, but to look deeply into it. You know, so, you know, a, a big problem, a problem, a catastrophe, you know, is you know, global uh, climate change. And I, I think for us to really look deeply into what is going on in the human psyche that makes it difficult for us to move into a different relationship to the world is a really important question. We look into what's happening in the human psyche that we're so unable to respond in an effective way. I think that the answer to moving forward, one answer is looking deeply into the darkness of our inability to respond. What is that? And out of that comes an insight about how to move forward in an alternative way. I think that's good because we often let the we often let the problems we often let the the chaos uh, sometimes crush us, and um, I love that idea that within the chaos there's something that we can find that can help us move forward. You know, it, it, for me, theologically, if if God is everywhere and in everything, there is something ultimately life giving, even in the darkest places, hmm. if we can hover over its face in a sustained way to bring it forward. Mm. I love that image of hovering over the face of the deep and the face of the chaos. That's beautiful. I love that the Hebrew word is murachefet, which is onomatopoetic. You can almost feel a fluttering in it, murachefet. <laughs> mm. um, last thing I, I want to, I know we're, we're getting short on time. We started a little bit late. I want to keep you too long. Uh, but my last question has a, a couple parts to it, and it's got to do with um, how we read the biblical text. And towards the end of the book, you talk about this idea of deep listening, which I've never heard of before. And um, I found it very interesting. But you say deep listening challenges our internal status quo and exposes us to new possibilities um, about the, the text. So can you talk to us a little bit about uh, what, what deep listening is and maybe how the practice uh, of deep listening has exposed you to new possibilities of understanding the scriptures. And what does it look like for us to kind of apply that in our own Bible readings? Because I'm going to slip this conversation into a series that we're doing uh, called Setting the Bible Free and kind of looking at 
different ways of thinking about the Bible, different ways of reading the Bible. So kind of the people who are listening to this and myself included, uh, we're looking to uh, hopefully approach our, our Bibles and our, our scriptures on a regular basis, maybe from with renewed passion. And so I really think this idea of deep listening can help breathe some of that in if you could share that with us. Yeah, so that's a, a vast question. I'm really happy to respond to it. I'd like to respond in a number of areas. First with the text, the traditional rabbinic method in approaching a text is to look for what disturbs you, to look for a contradiction, to look for an inconsistency, to look for what you don't understand. So to, and to come to the to text with a question rather than come to the text with an answer. Hmm. And so like, if, I, if I come to the text with a question, something truly new can come forward for me. Whereas if I come to the text wanting, bringing the, my current thought categories and imposing my third current thought categories on the text, then I'm just going to get further confirmation of what I already know. Hmm. And so I'll come back to this in a second, but I think it's also the same in, in, in a conversation with, with another person that, you know, I mean, I love there's a, a rabbinic midrash that says that, that uh, it's midrash on the verse in Genesis that, that God created the human in God's own image. Hmm. And midrash is, uh, the rabbinic uh, story connect that is, that unlike Caesar, who at the time of the rabbis was the sovereign for every coin that Caesar impressed had the same image of Caesar on it, that God's image is different and unique in every person. And that's the beauty of God's creation, that God's image is unique in every person. And so every person is a unique revelation and has in some way brought that being and that whoever they were to the world in a new, unique way and so to really listen in deeply to who is this person is going to bring me to seeing the world in a somewhat, perhaps in a very different way, but even a good friend, a somewhat different way than I brought before. Hmm. Me, in regard to a person, you know, deep listening is dropping my categories, dropping my expectations, dropping how I see the world, and being vulnerable to, to let in a whole different way, hmm. maybe very different or maybe only slightly different, into how I see see the world. So I can really truly learn something. Going back to the text, same thing with the text, that so allowing the text to speak something new to us by bringing a question to the text. Mm. Out some part of the text is disturbing. And uh, sticking with Genesis, you know, the rabbis note that uh, God says uh, after every day that it was good, except for the second day when God doesn't say that. And so the rabbis are bothered. Well, why didn't God See, after the second day, it was good. So they bring the story. The story is that God commanded the waters to divide, and the waters like hanging out together. They didn't yeah. want to divide. Huh. And so they resisted God's initial instruction to divide. You know, that there was, and God had overcome that resistance. You know? And it, to me, what the rabbis were going into in a very deep way was the sense of, oh, wow. Um, all creation is one, and yet for there to be a dynamic creation, you need to have many. And it's really, in, in a way, a struggle that we're many and that we're not one, that we're not all the same. It, it, it creates all kinds of tension, all kinds of differences, all kinds of conflicts. It'd be so much simpler, but so much less dynamic if we're all the same. And so 
it was the rabbis exploring this creative tension between oneness and diversity through this midrash. But they came to that exploration by asking a question out of what disturbed, what disturbed them. Mm-hmm. In, in the, the Beit Midrash that I lead, I say that our strongest learning practice is the quality of our listening. Mm-hmm. That, that the, I, I like the image of an aircraft carrier, that the, lo- the, the longer the landing strip on an aircraft carrier, the larger the plane can land. And so if we can create large landing strips in our li- listening, big ideas can come into our, our circle. And the key practice is quieting our own minds so that when someone else is talking, we're not saying, well, I agree with this, I don't agree with that, what do I think about this one? But rather, we're just listening, just taking it in. Hmm. And then I, I, I would bring another aspect of listening. Um, I think we're set up to listen with our whole bodies. And so when I'm listening to a person, I mean, e- even you and I now, we only have audio to connect us. We have no, we have no visual. You know, the, vibra- the vibratory quality of your voice has an impact. Uh, I'm taking in information. I really want to attend to that, you know. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm walking down my street, you know, that, that, that there's all kinds of life around me. There's trees and there's plants and there's insects and there's people and there's the sky. And can I listen to it? Can I open myself more to it? And when I do listen to it, what, what I find is an invitation to, you know, to be in community. Like, like we're all in this together. That's really what you're listening. I think what, what you're reminding me of now is that, you know, the, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the Jewish approach to the scriptures really allows you to have a conversation with the scriptures. Whereas I feel like in my upbringing, um, again, Protestant, evangelical Christianity, you know, that you come to the scriptures and they have something to say to you and you just listen. But I love the fact that uh, you're, almost, you're almost pushing us to have this dialogue with the scriptures, to ask it questions, to let it ask you questions. And it's almost as like back and forth conversation. You know, I, I, there's this wonderful rabbinic commentary on Genesis 2, 5, which says God created the Siach HaSadeh. Siach HaSadeh literally uh, can be translated as the herbs the, the vegetation of the sadeh of the field. But siach also means conversation. God created the conversation of the field. And the rabbis have a commentary on that that said that, that all of the trees are in conversation with each other, which from modern science we now know is actually literally true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the whole sense of what God created is a conversation. Mm-hmm. Not only among people, but, but among all that lives. We are changing all kinds of energetic information all of the time. Um, between us all, all these creatures in, in creation. And that God's invitation to be in God's world is to, precip- to participate in the conversation, to really mm-hmm. hear and to respond from our, our heart. And, and so the Bible is constructed that way. In, a, in that chapter I referred to earlier about the scribes, you know, the scribes who put together, the, who, who wove together the text of the Bible included numbers of different perspectives so the Bible itself is a conversation. I mean, the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Torah, has different laws and a very different perspective on many things than are earlier set out in Exodus. In fact, there's a lot of differences between Deuteronomy and, and the earlier 
books of the, of, of the Bible. So in, in the Torah itself, the first five books of Moses, we already have a conversation between Deuteronomy and the other books. We already have more than one point of view. You know, and, um, and, and last time, I'm thinking in the, in the book of Nehemiah, when the Israelites in 530s, 536 or whatever, they returned from Babylon, the, the exile, they were in Babylon, returned to Judea, that the Ezra, the scribe, the leader of the community, um, had the Torah read, read and then had interpreters, several interpreters interpreting the Torah. So the people were given more than one point of view from the beginning. Mm. So that that <laughs> this is what makes Torah study rich, having more than one point of, of view. Yeah. That's so good. I feel like that's, that, that really just, that really butts heads against my, again, my upbringing because only recently have I really gotten into this idea that like there's multiple ways to think about things. There's multiple ways to understand things, especially different stories of the Bible, different, um, you know, verses that we take for granted that we understand, you know, what that verse means. But I think when you look at it from different angles and you see different things, I think it's, it's so much more rich. And I, I think it was Richard Rohr maybe who said that the scriptures are almost like a diamond where you turn the diamond and, depending on how the sun, how the light hits it, you see something different that you never saw before. So well, I think that, that looks back to the earlier question about the angry prophets. Mm. That, that I think for centuries, the Bible is mainly translated and interpreted by elites. And elites who have a stake in picturing a wayward people who need a strong authoritarian ruler to keep them in line. Mm. And um, Walter Brueggemann in, in, in many of his fine works has really pointed out this tension in the Bible um, between this royal narrative, which is command and control. That, that, you know, we, we, we have to be in control here, or there'll be chaos. Mm. And the prophetic narrative, which is run as liberation journey. Mm. And, and so it, it, it served people, especially in, times when there were monarchs and elites who ruled and there are such today to have the sense there's only one truth and we have it hmm. and I, I think that that's a, 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 a really dangerous misread and part of the reason that I wrote the book is I really wanted people to see the way in which the scripture themselves are inviting a conversation with the scriptures mm. and almost how the the scriptures are inviting you to take part in what the scriptures are trying to do right because if if what god i mean another way of saying it is that i don't think god wants um sort of automaton human beings that simply obey commands that that mm. the glory of what it means to be alive be so narrowed by that that God wants flourishing human beings and flourishing human beings flourish through interaction through conversation and not simply obeying orders and not simply having one point of view in finding their own way and being creative in the world hmm. people flourish by being creative you know and so I think the scriptures want us to be be creative and, hmm. and one way to be creative is be creative in how we respond to the scriptures themselves hmm. That's so good. So I have, in light of all of that, I have one more follow-up question that just came to mind, then I'm going to let you go. 
but uh, we have a, I have a, a Facebook group online of uh, listeners of the podcast who join in. There's probably about 90 to hundred of us in there. And a lot of, a lot of people are beginning to realize that they have these different passions of things that they're very passionate about, whether it's social justice issues, whether it's environmental type things, whether it's even just stuff within the church that they see as a, as a problem. Um, and so I'm wondering if you could maybe kind of in light of this book in light of the, the liberation journey that you've spoken of, uh, what, what, what advice would you give to that person who is starting to identify what their passion point is? Uh, they're starting to become more passionate about it. Uh, they're trying to figure out what does it look like to harness that energy and put it into uh, a positive place in order to kind of step foot into that, um, that prophetic line to do something good and creative in the world with it. What, what advice would you give to that person? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't like giving advice, but I'm happy to share what I do. <laughs> okay, beautiful. That works. Um, first, at, at the end of the book, I've got 10 spiritual practices for prophetic action. Yes, and I found those very helpful, by the way. Yeah, so one of them is give sustained attention to what fascinates and disturbs you. Hmm. And, and, and that all, all parts of that sustained attention. I mean, not simply on oh, a look at it for a moment now and then I'm going to be distracted, but undistracted sustained attention to the depth of what disturbs you and what fascinates you. Mm. Another spiritual practice is um, seek soul friends. You know, so a lot of what I do, you know, I'm blessed to live in Santa Fe is I go, walking in the hills with soul friends, talking about what fascinates me and what disturbs me so I can give it sustained attention. Mm. What comes out of that? What comes out of that dialogue? The dialogue both, I'm in dialogue with what, what fascinates me and what disturbs me. Mm. I'm in dialogue with close friends. And out of that dialogue, out of that dialogue, creation happens. That's so good. Now, don't do the journey alone, right? We're not meant. We're not meant to do the journey. It's beautiful, Rabbi. Thank you so much for stopping by. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I want you to go and enjoy the rest of your your Sunday evening. But thank you for joining me on the on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, Glenn. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. You have a blessed rest of your day. You too. Thank you, sir. Wow, what a great, what a great conversation, right? Uh, like I said earlier, I, I had to cut out some of the the uh, some of the conversation because at one point we lost each other, and uh, we don't, I didn't really know what was going on, and uh, also I didn't get to all of the the questions I wanted to ask uh, because we we started a little bit late due to our technology issues. Uh, but hey, you know, that's life. And uh, I was, however, able to work some, I would call it like Mac magic and uh, resurrect some of the conversation. So a good, most of the conversation is is there. Uh, but it was definitely a learning experience for me, for sure. And uh, here's the really funny thing. Uh, at one point, about, I don't know, maybe halfway through the conversation, he was talking, I couldn't hear him anymore. 
and I heard like every like four or five words. So it was like, I, like it, it sounded like that. Like I didn't know what was going on. And I thought to myself, maybe we should just like postpone this for another day because like this isn't working. So let's just try again like another time. But then something else in me like tapped me on the shoulder and said, no, let's do what Rabbi Nahum is teaching us to do in this moment. And let's let our inner spirit like hover over the chaos of craziness. And let's make something beautiful out of this thing that right now feels like a disaster. And, and so that's that's what we're doing. We are making something beautiful out of the little bit of chaos that happened uh, in that episode. And I hope you don't mind, uh, but this episode was really, I don't know, it was like really special for me. And so I want to I wanna take a little extra time here at the end uh, to debrief the conversation that I had with Rabbi Nahum and share something from the book that I've, I've been wrestling with since I got the book and I finished it. And I want to invite you uh, to wrestle with some of those things uh, as, as well. So, so Rabbi's book was, uh, I, I guess I would say it was like, it was a game changer for me uh, in particular, because I always felt that the understanding of the prophetic that I received in school was, I guess you could call it underwhelming and incomplete. L- like I said to Rabbi Nahum in the episode, I've taken like 34,000 spiritual gift tests throughout high school, college, seminary, and even just on my own. And prophecy is like always one of the uh, possible gifts that you might have, depending on how you answer the 50 to 100 questions on the spiritual gift test. And I was always one, you know, prophecy was always one that you like hoped that you would get, you know, like I can remember reading over the spiritual gift test thinking, man, I hope I get prophecy or healing or something crazy cool like that. And whenever the class went over the results and everyone shared their their gift, there's always like this cloud of uh, like envy in the room towards anybody who got tagged with one of those bigger spiritual gifts. I mean, I know that's weird. I know that's strange, but like that's the Bible college seminary world. Uh, we are a bunch of weird, strange people. Anyways, I always noticed that each test kind of like presented prophecy differently. Like some would focus on a prophet being someone who is uh, passionate about the quote word of God and is able to speak it in a unique way uh, in the in the present time in a, in a way that's applicable to present issues. Uh, others would focus on how prophets have this distinct ability to see things in the future, maybe even before they happen through things like visions or dreams. And others focus on a prophet being someone who's not afraid to to speak their mind, someone who's not afraid to say what they think. And, and I guess all of those have something to do with prophecy. But none of them really capture the heart of a prophet, I think, quite like Rabbi Nahum describes in the book, right? Like, like again, here, here's the quote I read in the episode. I want to read it again. He says, the prophets are those people who are filled with God's love for creation and consequent passion for justice. The encounter with this love and this concern brings forth from the prophet the courage to face what others turn away from, the unsustainability of a society that oppresses the poor. That is such a beautiful description, right? 
Someone who is filled with God's love for creation and his passion for justice, a love and concern that will push the prophet towards what others might run away from. And what I love about uh, what Rabbi Nahum explained to us is that we're all called to be prophets to some extent. Like the gift of prophecy isn't just for a pastor or a preacher or an activist or something like that. It's not like God handed you the gift of encouragement and only your pastor the gift of prophecy and that guy over there the gift of hospitality. Instead, everyone is called. Everyone is equipped to step into the role of a prophet in some way, shape, or form. Like he said, we're not all going to be Moses or Elijah or Martin Luther King Jr., but we are called, every single one of us, to join in this great mission to bring liberation and freedom to people who are oppressed in the world, in various forms of oppression. Right? We're called to tap into God's heart for his creation. And the way we develop that voice isn't by trying to predict the future or trying to get angry about some issue in the world and yell about it or ask God to give us dreams about the future. But the way to develop that voice is to pinpoint, as Rabbi Nahum said toward the end of the episode, pinpoint the thing that fascinates us and or disturbs us in the world and pour ourselves and our attention into that thing 100% both in a personal and communal setting. Now, if you get the book, in the very back of the book, uh, Rabbi Nahum provides some spiritual exercises to help um, his readers hear and respond to God's call uh, to prophetic action. And he also gives these these like reflection questions for each chapter, kind of help the reader better apply uh, the content of that chapter to their life or to their their situations. I want to read a couple of those reflections, uh, reflection questions for you. Uh, chapter twenty, he says this: From the place of loving inside of you, uh, what societal cha- challenge or opportunity that you are called is? <laughs> Let me read that again. From the place of loving inside of you, what is a societal challenge or opportunity that you are called to name or address? So think about the place inside of you that is love. Think about the loving place inside of you. What societal change, challenge, opportunity uh, does that loving place inside of you feel called to name, to call out, and to address? Maybe it's something that everybody is very well aware of. Uh, Maybe it's something that people are not all that aware of. But what is the thing inside of you, the loving place inside of you that looks at something in the world and says, that is not getting the attention it needs to get, or that is getting the attention it needs to get, I need to join in it and challenge it and address it and name it. What is that thing? Chapter 22, here's another question. He says, identify one subject or issue that currently fascinates or disturbs you. How are you responding to that fascination or that disturbance? And how could imagination and creativity enhance your efforts to bring positive change to the world now? So what is the thing in your life, in the world, I should say, that fascinates you and or disturbs you? And how can your imagination and your creativity 
uh, enhance or build up your efforts to bring positive change to the world now by addressing and naming that thing. Now, in order to step into uh, like a prophetic voice, you need to, to answer those questions for yourself, right? No one can do that for you. You've got to sit with this stuff. You've got to think about it. You've got to see uh, where the Spirit might lead you. But I've been pouring over this stuff for the last few months. I picked up the book uh, over the summer. I think I finished it in like July. So I've been thinking about this stuff for a little while. And I've come to realize that this podcast and that the topics that we wrestle with here are both my fascinations and my disturbances. Uh, And this is where for now, I think God has really given me the space to exercise and work out and develop what I am only now becoming comfortable calling, I think, my prophetic voice. Like we talk about four pretty much big topics here at the What If Project. We talk about hell and the afterlife, uh, LGBTQ inclusion, the cross and Jesus, and, and the Bible, right? Those are the four big things that we talk about. And as I look back over the last 60 episodes, I think every episode pretty much falls into one of those four categories because really they best sum up the things that both fascinate and disturb me. Right? Like, I am disturbed, absolutely disturbed, by the way the church has used hell and the afterlife to create a sense of fear within people and a sense of shame that they need to somehow do A, B, and C in order to avoid God's wrath and escape conscious eternal torment when they die. I think that is ridiculous. And it literally makes my blood boil. Like whenever I hear someone threatened with hell for not believing in God, when I see a meme online that's all about fire and brimstone and hell, I start like to twitch inside. Like it just really, really bothers me. I am disturbed by the way in which the church specifically has outcasted, shamed, and condemned LGBTQ people all under the umbrella of six Bible verses, which they try to, quote, speak what they say is the truth in love. I think that's a whole lot of baloney, a whole lot of balagna, a whole lot of bull. And I will use my voice uh, to push back on such anti-Christ behavior that too often comes from the church. It bothers me. At the same time, I am fascinated by Jesus and the Jesus story. Uh, I grew up understanding Jesus to be the Son of God who came to take the punishment for my sin so that by believing in Him, I might go to heaven when I die. But I've recently come to a place where I'm understanding the, the story of Jesus to be much bigger, much more inclusive, and a whole lot better news than that. Uh, I think about it all the time. I will forever wear my cross around my neck. I will forever work to partner with God in widening the gates of his kingdom. I'm expanding his table and pushing back on any message that is contrary to the one that Jesus lived and spoke in his life, right? The Jesus story fascinates me. And I'm fascinated by the Bible, which is the reason why we're in the midst of this crazy 11-part series called Setting the Bible Free. Like I said last week, I've been reading this thing since I was like 10, and I literally can't stop. I don't believe it's the infallible Word of God. I don't think it's inerrant. I have too much respect for it 
to box it into silly doctrines like that. Instead, I believe that it's a a radical, subversive collection of texts that are meant to get in our face, that are meant sometimes to lighten the load, are meant to show us what it looks like to be on a journey with God through life, where our understanding of God grows and evolves and changes as she teaches us what it looks like to partner with the Spirit in an ever-changing world. I am fascinated by the Bible. So I'm beginning to see this podcast as kind of like a prophetic platform, I guess. You know, my place or my space to talk about these two disturbances, to flesh out these two fascinations. I talk about them with you. I talk about them with my wife. I talk about them with friends and professors and pastors. I read books about them. I literally throw myself into this stuff with everything that I am, and I just can't stop. Like with every book I read, Every podcast episode I record, every blog post I write, my voice feels like it takes shape just a little bit more. And so, yeah, my prophetic voice is still developing. It's still evolving. I'm still learning how to harness the the passion for these four things and use it in a way to create good in the world. Uh, And surely I get it wrong probably more times than I do get it right. But with each moment that goes by, I feel like it becomes a little bit more clear and a little bit more strong. And so I tell you all of that about me because I want to ask you about you, right? How about you? What is your passion point? What is the thing in this world that fascinates you, disturbs you, rocks your boat, keeps you awake at night, causes you to twitch when you see it come across your Facebook screen? Here's the thing. I want want to offer you something. Uh, And I mentioned this up front uh, about the small group. If this is something that uh, you want to talk more about, then I want to invite you into a uh, small group experience, I guess you can call it, uh, that I'll be hosting in October called Developing Your Prophetic Voice. So the group is going to be limited to uh, probably eight to ten people. I haven't decided yet. Um, I want to keep it small. I thought about doing five. Five might be the number. Could be as many as eight or ten. Uh, we're going to meet two times uh, using Zoom video. Hopefully, Zoom will cooperate and we won't have any issues. But we're going to use uh, meet using Zoom video to talk about uh, my conversation with Rabbi Nahum. Uh, some of the practices in the back of the book for helping us develop that voice. And just to encourage each other in the pursuit of the things that fascinate us and, and disturb us. So this episode is airing on Monday, September 30th. And the group is going to meet on Friday, October 18th and Friday, October 25th. So back-to-back Fridays from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So this gives you like a couple of weeks to to get the book, only if you want to, um, and to process through some of the material. You don't have to get the book uh, if you don't want to. Listening to the episode maybe once or twice uh, should be enough to kind of jump into the conversation. And in, in the group, I'm not going to be saying very much. Okay, so this is not uh, about me teaching you anything, but I simply want to provide a, a safe place for you to voice the things that both fascinate you and disturb you, and to allow other people to maybe have a voice in encouraging you to use your voice in a way that will make your part of the world a better place. And so on the 18th, we're basically, if there's, let's just say there's 10 of us or 5 of us, we're going to go around the circle, so to speak. And uh, everybody's going to get the chance to share the thing that fascinates them and disturbs them in the world. 
So maybe for you, um, it's climate change. I don't know. Maybe for you, it's something that's political. Maybe for you, it's something in the church. Maybe it's um, victims who of abuse. Maybe that's your passion point. I don't know. Whatever it is, what is the thing that fascinates you or disturbs you? And then on the 25th, uh, the next week, we'll talk about what we sense the Spirit leading us to do with those fascinations and disturbances and encourage one another to step into that prophetic role. Maybe you feel like um, climate change. Let's talk about that. Maybe that's your, your, your passion point. And maybe you feel like, you know what, I want to start a blog. I want to start a podcast. And maybe you just need other people in your life to push you and tell you, yes, you can do that. Go and do it. Uh, so if this sounds like something that you want to do, there's a link on the website. If you go to uh, whatifproject.net slash groups, uh, there will be a little uh, thing that you can fill out for your name and your email address. I will get an email and uh, you will be signed up. Once that uh, thing hits five, eight, or 10, whatever number I decide on, uh, I will close down the link and uh, it will not be there anymore. And then whoever signed up, I will send you a personal email um, and we will kind of go over some of the specifics, make sure you have Zoom and all those different kind of things. I'll send you the link. Basically, just click on the link. Uh, if you have a Zoom account, you sign in. If you don't, you create one and boom, uh, you're there and we can all see each other and it's it's pretty cool. So again, it'll be limited to however many people I decide. We'll meet October 18th and 25th from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can get the book if you want. Re-listen to the episode a few times. Should be fine. But come ready to, ready to share something. Okay, this is only going to be cool if everybody has something to share, right? Because I'm not going to be there talking. I'm not going to have anything prepared to share with you. Uh, this is just about you uh, sharing the thing in your life that you are fascinated about, disturbed about, whatever, um, places in the world uh, that you feel like your voice could make a difference. Cool? Sweet. So that said... Uh, again, thank you for dropping by uh, the What If Project podcast. It has been great to have you along for the wild ride. Uh, much love to you, and I will see you next week. Bye-bye.